0: How do you live a richly textured life on a modest income? What does that mean? What companies should be looking at that? Who could be partnered with? How do we help people to reimagine what your third you know, and fourth quarter can look like?
1: Hello, I'm Elizabeth Ribbons, your host for Next, a podcast dedicated to telling relatable stories that inspire a fluid approach to life. Purpose and to navigate change. Today's guest is an accomplished woman and entrepreneur with a successful business under her belt, graduate degrees from the Harvard Business School and Johns Hopkins University, COO of a nonprofit, author of 55 and Faking Normal, and aging solutions advocate working as a special advisor to the executive director of Senior Service America with plenty of pivots, successes and a hard stop in her career, elizabeth white is an inspiring ted speaker and champion for adults facing uncertain work and financial insecurity. welcome elizabeth, i'm so glad you're here.
0: i'm so happy to be here elizabeth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great name. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: can you um you know prior to your essay, uh, i know her and the subsequent book uh, could you give me some history there so we can get to know you a little bit better?
0: So I'm someone who was doing really well for a long time until I wasn't. So you ticked off uh, some of my background. So I had checked off a lot of the boxes, Harvard, I worked at the World Bank, I'd been an entrepreneur and just assumed that my life was going to continue on that path. It always had until the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And I was working in the gig economy before we called it a gig economy. So I was combining jobs, consultancies, and I'd cobble them together. And if you did two or three of them at the same time, you had actually a pretty good income. So I was doing two during the Great Recession. I had one that was supposed to be seven months. It lasted, I was in my seventh year. Another one that was supposed to be one year, and I was in my fourth year. But during the Great Recession, as you see, even what's happening now, companies retrench, and consultants are often the first to go. So I, uh, within six months, lost both jobs not actually even worried because of my background. You know, I'm someone who would hear about jobs before they were even posted. Mm -hmm. And I had a really good network and I had mentors. But what happens when you're 55 is your mentors are often 10 years older. Mm -hmm. So my mentors are now in their 60s and getting out of the game, retiring themselves. And suddenly my phone stopped ringing. And you, uh, you know, initially you think, okay, so not waiting now, but next month, let me have coffee with more people. Let me, you know, sort of all the things that I was accustomed to doing, doing. Mm-hmm. And weeks turned into months and months turned into more months. Mm-hmm. And I started to be concerned and then upset and uh but one of the things i noticed friends of mine you start to notice things like you're 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 still trying to keep up appearances so you are still networking having lunch with people but you're really conscious of not being able to really afford the lunch but then you would notice somebody else who was also ordering iced tea when you know that's a Chardonnay girl, right there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you you know you start to somebody you see them in their long between hair appointments, yeah. or someone's giving you a ride home and they have an SUV and they're putting seven dollars of gas in their SUV. Yeah, women, we talk. We start mm. to talk, and we started to talk really openly about what was happening to us. And one woman in particular, we just. I remember one time at a particularly low point, I was on the phone with her for six hours. It was just a breaking point for her. She just, this is a Emmy award winning producer. She'd been very successful. Things were not working out she was telling me, she said, if my, remember she said, if my porch were not just three feet from the ground, I would really consider jumping off. Oh. And we talked, I cried, she cried, just being in this place of, um, would we ever get back? Would we ever live the way we used to, we reminding each other what we had accomplished and all of that. So it was in that time that I wrote the essay. I was sitting on my grandson's bed and I wrote it in one go. I just sat there and um, wrote what it felt like to land here when you were someone who had been doing really well. Mm -hmm. And now you're, you feel like your face is pressed up against a glass and you're looking in on a life that is no longer yours.
1: And you didn't see that and coming. You did not see that
0: coming, right? It just happened. I did. I not, you know, no. Short answer is no. Not to that extent. No. I'm thinking like You know, maybe take you a few months to find work, but not right. something where month after month right. and nobody's calling you back. Right. So what I didn't know then that I know now is when you're in your 50s, half of Americans, 52% is the number, are right. going to lose their jobs at some point. Yeah. And so the reason that's important to know is that if this happens to you, that you're not feeling like, oh, I must really be a loser. Nobody's talking about this. I'm the only one. You're not the only one. I think the other thing that's important to remember is all these 50-year-olds didn't suddenly become incompetent, okay? No. <laughs> They've been working, and then all of a sudden this happens to 52% of the people who are 50, in their 50s. They didn't all become incompetent. So we, right. we still have uh, a situation where workplace age discrimination is alive and well. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know that at that time. So I was internalizing all of it. What happened with the essay was uh, Richard Eisenberg from Next Avenue, Mm -hmm. which is one of the PBS publications, Mm -hmm. took a chance on a totally unknown author and writer and published it. And I remember he at one point emailed me and he said, are you seeing what's happening on Facebook with this, I didn't even have a Facebook account. He said you need, you, you need to go up. He said this thing is exploding with comments. Yeah, and I remember being embarrassed. I didn't want to be out there with my face talking about I didn't have a job. It's just, you get no point. You didn't
1: want to be recognized, you know, as your corner market. Oh, you're the one.
0: (laughs) No. In fact, Richard, because, okay, so Richard and I are dealing by phone. So, I mean, by email. So, we're not seeing each other. Yeah. And when he did the graphics for the article, Mm -hmm. he picked this older white woman. I was so happy that it wasn't me. (laughs) You know, that he didn't ask me for a picture. Because you get no points talking about struggle, financial woes, we just don't talk about it. It's rugged individualism. Yeah. It's your bootstrap ingenuity. You know, the guy who walks 15 miles without a car and 15 miles back home. And then it's, you know, two years in, get some hoopty that they got for him. We praise that. We're all excited. We're not asking, why doesn't he make enough money? Yeah, exactly. Why well, is so, his too, memo- I think
1: I think yeah. that it doesn't matter how much bootstrapping you do in the fifties, you could be a really hard worker and have all the credentials. What you're saying is really prevalent. I mean, it just is really prevalent.
0: What I say to people is your bootstrap ingenuity will not address disappearing pensions. Right. It's not going to address the escalating cost in healthcare or flat and falling wages. Mm-hmm. There are things you can do, but there's some structural things that are going to make it very hard for you as a 50-year-old. So getting our brain around that so that we don't get the um, upset and the then wanting to hide and disappear, uh, not feeling like there's any possibility for us to... Um, carve out another path right. that's what i don't want to see happen to people
1: right right you know i have to um and so you wrote the essay and i have to say that you came out and said something that everyone was feeling and didn't want to admit to because they were so accomplished they were you know they had lives that were were well rounded and i think you just hit a note that so many people needed to hear and you continue to so you, that led to writing a book. So let's hear about that.
0: So it led to um, a self-published book first. Mm-hmm. And I because what happens is, so they comment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They'll do three, four sentences in a comment. But what happens now is they're going to find your email address. So the email they send you is a page and a half single space. So I started to have all these stories of people speaking in the most candid way mm-hmm. about what happened to them. And they might be describing their own situation or what happened to their sister, or in some cases, what was happening to one of their uh, adult children. Mm-hmm. And I had more and more stories, themes started to emerge. And I had this one friend, when I was telling her, I was thinking of a book. She said, it better not be a talk-a-thon. It better have some resources in there, not just some recitation of the problem. People need resources. So when I wrote the book, there were a couple of things that were important to me. I didn't want to write some, like, Brookings Institute tome for policymakers and, (laughs) you know, university academics. Because uh, there were a lot of books that are they're really densely written. There's a lot of, they're sort of written for another audience. I right. wanted, if you were in despair. Right. I wrote this book. I wanted it to have the tone. I'm standing at my back fence talking to my neighbor. Right. So I wanted it to have enough data to tell the story. I wanted people to hear about other people who were going through this. And I wanted to have resources. If you land here, Mm -hmm. what can you do if you're looking for a roommate and you're in your 50s and you don't want the son of Sam living with you? (laughs) What can you do if you need food stamps, you're embarrassed to get them? How does that process work? What did other people who landed where you've landed, where I had landed? What's that experience like? So I wanted it to be, I'm sitting with you with my cup of coffee and we are talking in a really uh, candid casual.
1: Yeah. And I did read the book and I thought it was fantastic um, because clearly you're intelligent and you, but you, you do, you do deliver it in a conversational easy to read way and as you said, it it is the complete circle. So you give these stories, you you give case studies, so that you can relate and align with some of those stories, and then you give so some solutions. Like, well, these are some resources that you could go to. This is what people are doing. Blah, you know, you have all these great resources. So to me, I felt like it was an excellent book for someone who's really seeking, seeking, you, you know, their community, saying out loud what it is about. And furthermore, I loved that you said, and this is something that is so true, that this is the first generation that's gone, is going through this. We are, we are carving out this, this new, we're pioneers. We're carving out this new way because we're all living into our late eighties and nineties. So what are we going to do with that? And um, I love that you did that and the housing. And so let's touch on a little bit of that because, um, you know, not everyone um, is is at the point where they may need to get welfare, but at the same time, it's great to be able to say out loud, "Look, you've worked; it's there for us, you know." And and this is how you you go about doing. it. There's a whole spectrum of people out there that could be super successful and find that they're sliding down a slippery slope pretty quickly. Can you talk about that a little bit and and just how you've seen with your TED talks and um, just the people that you you're talking to and helping and, um, and working with
0: And so one thing I want to um, I want to change the language a little bit from welfare to safety net.
1: There, I like that much better yes
0: and And I think because there's a lot of stigma around welfare and yeah. kind of the welfare queens and kind of all of that. Right. And what really I uh, when I look at food stamps, it's sort of a temporary stopgap measure. Right. Uh, What we know is that, you know, for older adults, a third of the people who are eligible actually get them. So the first thing that I think is important when you land here is to think in terms of strategy, not failure. And that means you are going to think in terms of what can you do to secure yourself and your family if there's a family. So if that means food stamps, if mm-hmm. that means Medicaid, if that means taking a job mm-hmm. that, you know, I used to run offices like this and now I'm filing. Yes. That you're thinking in terms of right now in this gap, I'm doing what I need to do to get to the next round. Yes. So that's a that's a big mental shift. So it could be uh, I had a roommate one time. You think I wanted a roommate, a housemate? Yeah, I did not want a housemate. Um, so that's I think that's one of the big. Pieces and,
1: and I think too, a lot of people have just what you just said is is accepting what is happening now, accepting the reality of yeah, maybe I need to take on um, a, a housemate, maybe I need to um, you know change up what I'm doing, maybe I do need to go and get a safety net, I need to look into other options. I think for a while, a lot of people don't want to let go of what was, and that's the difficult part. I think. Um,
0: And it's in, uh, I would say one of the biggest mistakes I made uh, in the 2008, 2009 was Mm -hmm. not shifting fast enough. Yes. You believe that since it's always been a certain way, you sort of maintain your lifestyle Mm -hmm. at a point that you should be dramatically cutting back. And so then you're racing through your savings. Cause you're, you know, you're still, uh, you know, son or grandson still in summer camp, you're still, you know, yeah. certain things that you're doing, you know, you still have your streaming services. You still, you know, just, yeah. And you, <laughs> you, you don't realize fast enough. You need to really start conserving cash. Oh
1: yeah. 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 I've worked with women. Um, and I see this happening and I try to just give them like the, okay, this is, you know, the real tough talk and they push back so hard. And I, and I just, I don't push back after that. I just say, this is how it is. And it's not your forever, but you just need to make yourself be able to, to lighten your load so you can focus on what you're going to do to pivot and change and, and create something for yourself. Um, I think that's right. You know, but they they do hold on, and I, and I've seen that um, they do hold on. And so, um, in the book, you know, you you did mention how uh, people started switching up. They started doing things uh, to create a lifestyle that they wanted at the same time within their means. And then, right. and looking at okay, here I am at this age. Ten years from now, what am I going to be wanting to do, and how can I make income and all of that? So. Can you touch a little bit on that? Because there was the the people that were moving out of this, the country and
0: there's just different,
1: different, they were looking at different options. And I think that's where we have to open our minds and, and decide, okay, the status quo, the current, the current thing isn't working any longer. And I need to look at what I can do. And I say, change it up instead of downsize. Um, Just like you say, safety net, you know, I, I prefer to say, change it up. Because I've been through that same metamorphosis. And let me tell you, Mm -hmm. I feel freer, freer Mm -hmm. and better by getting rid of all the the stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big reality too. It's like, okay, the stuff, we kind of defined ourselves with that whole, like how we built our lives up. But um, I think it gives us us a chance to see our metal and redesign ourselves and our lives kind of in a way.
0: Yeah, and this is where I think the pandemic has been powerful. In that, a friend of mine says uh, he thinks of it as God just sent everybody to the room. Just go to your room, sit down. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> our, um, and so, in our rooms, our respective you know places where we live, uh, I was noticing, for example, that Lowe's their uh, second quarter was seven billion dollars up from a year ago yes and it's because people are like they're noticing the paint peeling and the because yeah. their homes now are where they are most of the time and so in there a lot of thinking about what really matters now right and noticing I have like you know four pair of black yoga pants and a bunch of cap t-shirts and I'm just you know Rotating so out,
1: they're <laughs> feeling.
0: I know. Um, and I take a walk in the park across the street from me, which was not part of my routine. And there's just another. Uh, I'm not spending money eating out. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think for a lot of people, there is a sort of recalibration. Right. In this. Uh, space, and you were talking about options, there was a woman who wrote me, and um, she uh, had lived in New York, was a caterer, and moved to um, Mexico, to San Miguel Allende, and she wrote me, and and said to me, you really need to come here, there's so many American women who are here and so I visited her mm-hmm. and I interviewed mm-hmm. all these women some of them living on $600 a month mm-hmm. she was a woman who felt like my social security which was about hers was about 1100 she could not live in new york city it was just yeah. not doable right but in san miguel she could live mm-hmm. and she had a cute little you know sort of two room flat in the heart of the city, it was you know walkable and she could make it work there. And there were all of these American women who had like re- reverse migrated there because they didn't have enough money to really live here the way they were accustomed to living. Mm-hmm. So I included a lot of their stories and how they did it. And what struck me elizabeth is these were not sort of fancy extraordinary women these were women who looked at their situation went down there maybe to visit a friend and said you know what i think maybe i can do this and so what i wanted to do in the book is because we're making our path by walking to just here's some women tried this here's some women living in a tiny house here's some women all kinds of things that we're doing. And men. Now, men, it was interesting because men don't talk the way we talk. No. <laughs> so when I would meet a man who landed here, I would, their stories, let them write them themselves. They wrote them in their own words. And then I would sort of edit for length. The
1: mm-hmm. women
0: I interviewed, and then I'm writing the story. But right. there were men were in a different kind of pain because they had no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. We often will have one person, two people that were really telling what's happening to us. The biggest piece of this, uh, I think even in the pandemic, I was thinking about this um, yesterday is how do we maintain these connections yeah how do we uh it's this weird thing of the pandemic re- requires at a time when we need each other most for us to be wary of everybody
1: mm-hmm.
0: i notice in the grocery store you know like you go ahead no you go ahead no you go ahead because nobody wants to bump into anybody you don't want to physically bump into anybody yeah And so we're in this, um, we're separated at a time that we need each other. Mm -hmm. And if the musical chair stopped, where you don't have a mate, or you don't have as, you know, full a friendship circle as you want, Mm -hmm. then we're all kind of stuck inside. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, we're all stuck inside. So... Uh, I think this is challenging in that way because when you're going through this, the reason you saw in my book, I talk about resilient circles. Yes. And getting together with, it doesn't have to be many, it can be two other people that you're talking to on a regular basis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you land here, the tapes that start running through your head, the upset that you feel It leaks out of you when you do then sit across from somebody. So many times this has happened to me. I'll meet someone and they're coming through DC and we'll sit for a coffee. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: they're like literally leaning forward. There's so so much intensity. Mm -hmm. It's very clear when you're talking to them that you're the first person they've talked to in a long time. There's all of this pouring out. Yeah. What worries me there is, let's say it was an interview. Let's say you're talking to a hiring manager. That hiring manager doesn't know like exactly what the whole story is. Right. They'll see all that and they're like, I don't want that. <clears throat> Whatever all of that is, I don't want that in the work environment.
1: Right. So you
0: need some place where you can vent Mm -hmm. You need some place where you, I had, um, I was so surprised. uh, I was uh, uh, in this sort of group where we were, you know, just talking about a lot of things and the coach who was managing the group at the break came up to me and said, she just very privately, if you need to scream and fall down on the floor, I've got you. Wow. And I was, you know, because I'm there. I'm very, you know, I'm sort of reserved. I'm thinking, what did she see? And I felt emotional when she said that. But it was, she, you know, works with people all the time. And so something she saw, even in my demeanor and all of this, that led her at the break to come up to me and say that yeah and I did need to scream and fall down on the floor
1: yeah
0: yeah and so I you know I really we do sometimes that's that is what we need to do so you need some place where you can let that out Mm -hmm. so that when you're in a setting where you are being interviewed that you can calibrate you're not leaking all this that this upset that you're feeling because of what happened Right.
1: You know, I think it's from the the bootstrapping and that self-sustaining mentality that makes this generation of this group, it makes it a little difficult to reach out. But that is the answer is we do need to reach out and create these circles, like you're saying, these resilient circles and say out loud what's going on because someone else will resonate with that. And that is so therapeutic to be able to say out loud. And then someone might say, oh, I've been through that, or hey, you could, blah, blah, and this type of um, exchange is so necessary, and we're, you know, this is a country that's suffering from, um, you know, loneliness, so I think pioneering through everything, this is another thing we need to pioneer, is coming up with a way to, to really create, I don't want to say our network, but create these circles where we can get support and give support, um, I think it's important.
0: And what I found in the circle, um, and there were men and women, but mostly women,
1: mm-hmm.
0: exchange of resources and information. Yes. Yes. Okay, because everybody then in their own way is hearing about something. Mm-hmm. They're hearing about a program or they're hearing about an opportunity. If you, um, a friend of mine said to me one day, at one point, God works through people. Yes. If you don't tell people, if I don't know that you're looking for an aff- affordable housing, mm-hmm. if you hide that from me, then the fact that I know about some affordable housing, I don't even get the chance to tell you. Right. If you didn't tell me what you needed. Right. So when she said that, uh, and I'm, she's a minister, I'm not even, I'm more, I'm not a religious person, but that resonated with mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That if you don't talk about what it is you're needing, then the person who can actually help you doesn't even know to tell you.
1: That is so true. And saying it out loud again, it's, it's very uh, therapeutic. It's, it's sort of getting it out of yourself because we always make things bigger when we keep it inside. So if we say it out loud, then just like you did when you wrote your essay, so many people go, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, I, I think we're the generation of the bootstrappers and the self-sustainers. And we're just learning this new thing of really connecting with each other and helping each other out. And the helping is helps us. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a win-win. Um, and I loved, you know, how, how you, in your book also, you know, we're, we're talking about other ways to, to live lifestyle changes, um, moving and, um, all of that. So, so those were, it's a great book as far as it really does, it's chock full of, of resources and good stories. Uh, where are you now? That was a, a, a bit ago. That was a few years ago. Where are you now and what are you doing now um, in your work? I'd love to hear about it.
0: Yeah, so the self-published book mm-hmm. uh, turned into a published book with Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm my TEDx talk there are 1% of TEDx's that they invite to be on the main stage Mm -hmm. which then blows the numbers up because they put it on their platform Mm
1: -hmm. so then
0: that led to lots of opportunities to speak and lots of opportunities to consult and uh, now I so I'm doing that and I'm now actually looking for a institutional affiliation I'd like to because I've been like rowing my little canoe by myself and you know so that means you're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall all the time some sticks some doesn't and so at this point I'm looking at opportunities that would allow me to partner with an organization Mm -hmm. where our values are aligned they have the bigger megaphone but they are thinking about these like how do you live a richly textured life on a modest income what does that mean what companies should be looking at that who could be partnered with how do we help people to reimagine what your third you know, and fourth quarter can look like. Right. And I can do some of that, but I'm like a one man band. Right. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking for now.
1: And that I think you will find, I think that there's just more uh, uh, understanding of what's going on and more people coming together. That's what I'm working on as well, because I saw it in my, I, I went through it. And then I also saw it so many times. And I also work with a lot of women who are hitting a hard stop um, and don't know, you know, that their finances are not what they used to be, or they're highly, highly experienced and they're, they're looking at not getting, women at 45 are saying, gosh, they were kind of looking at me like I was too old, 45. So, uh, you know, coming, going forward, I think it's a you know good thing to talk about all right this is happening understand this is not good and i completely have respect for what people are going through and then yeah. also the resources what what can we do how can we rebuild how can we recreate reimagine how we're going to live this next 20 30 years so right. um, to me that's exciting stuff and and it's something that i'm always reading about and looking at and Coming from the background that I have, I think it's it's really uh, interesting to to look at how to recreate and how to reimagine um, yeah. this life, and how does that look? And and I think the first you know economic decline was sort of a precursor to wake up something's happening now. This pandemic, I think we just really have uh, a real shift, and um, looking at how we're going to. Uh, pivot and, and reimagine ourselves and our lifestyles is uh, something, it's resilience, just like you were saying, the resilience circles. How are we going to remain resilient and still relevant? So um, it is, uh, so what are you working on That You're working to get, you're working to get that together. Are you going to head up or you're looking for an already established organization? Yeah, so I, I,
0: yeah, so I uh, had a company before where I sold widgets. And so yeah. I've done the whole entrepreneurial thing, yeah. not trying to, to do that again. Yeah. So it would really be um, looking at an institution, could be a think tank, could be an advocacy organization that is already in the space of um, mm-hmm. working with older adults or working with women. Um, you know, so that, that would be, because I think in terms of multiple income streams, So one is writing, you know, I Mm -hmm. get paid to write, you know, a consulting assignment, speaking. So I'm looking at that kind of casserole of work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the TED people have approached me about taking, they want me to do what they call the TED radio hour. So there'll be an opportunity to uh, talk about uh, my TED talk in the context of now, Right. You know, and I did, you know, just I've done lots of these um, sort of interviews for pay and then um, consulting as well. So it's enough to cobble together. Uh, I have a real I've lived in my house for 35 years. So, you know, it's not expensive to live here. So I'm, you know, I'm in a good place.
1: You're like the the poster child for, for what people are going through. And I think also, you know, what you had said too, the gig economy, you were in it before this happened. And you really are working on a contingency or cons- contract basis on a lot of things. And honestly, I see that being the case for many people in this, in this um, age range, taking everything they have and applying it where they can plug it in and sort of um, it's a much more fluid and flexible way of doing things rather than working with. Companies. Yeah. And it's,
0: yeah, it has downsides and upsides as people, you know, Absolutely. will tell you, you know, yeah. it is, whether it's, I'd say sharing economy or sharing the crumbs economy because ah. uh, they're not <laughs> yet the safeguards here. It's a lot of up and down, uh, and I think we're still trying to figure out in the context of the pandemic, there were so many gig jobs that required that you be in contact with people or be in and out of their homes. So, mm-hmm. we're, you know, all of this now is being uh, figured out. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's um, I think it's an interesting time because I think that the sustainability movement uh-huh. uh, where you are, uh, consuming with intention, so not just a lot of impulse purchasing, etc. Right. Right. That the sustainability movement and the um, this whole longevity economy are intersecting. Right. You know that we have to. Uh, one of my sort of pet peeves is that the market marketers often look at older adults
1: mm-hmm. who are
0: affluent. And they're looking at them for how do we meet their needs for leisure and entertainment and travel. And they're not looking at middle income, older adults who Mm -hmm. are not going to be doing the fancy traveling and all of that. And how do you make sure that their lives are fulfilling? What kind of products and services do they need? So I think we're going to start to see a shift there. That's 40%. 40% of middle income Americans uh-huh. are looking at some downward mobility as they get older and they have needs they have, you know, for services and products. And we're not yet seeing the focus there. Right. So that's an area I'd love to work on mm-hmm. uh, an organization that's focused on the needs of middle income, older adults.
1: And, and you said in your book too, the repurposing of already existing uh, you know, uh, properties Uh, And and making them uh, available, they don't have to be only for low income. I mean, I think because of what's going on, there's going to be a lot of buildings that are empty and why can't we, why can't we make those places? Because again, this group needs to interface. There's a lot of single independent people that would need to interface and have community. So there's, it's, to me, it's exciting to think of the uh the opportunities for people and how it can be shaped um but it's evolving and so it's something that has to be discussed just like you're you're doing and um so wow and so i have loved talking to you i could talk to you forever about all of this and and um how it could be shaped and things that could be done um but i don't want to take up too much more of your time you have been fantastic thank you so much and uh, i wish you the best and um, Definitely hope to be talking to you. I hope to hear you on the TED, on the Ted Hour and uh, keep me posted on that. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your time today. No,
0: thank you, Elizabeth, for wanting to tackle this topic and inviting me on uh, to speak about it. It's important and I'm, you know, so happy that more and more people are wanting to come into this conversation. It's needed.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. You can find links to any mentioned resources, mine and my guest social media, and more, all in the show notes at ribbons.com. That's ribbons with one B. Enjoying the show? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend or coworker. Reviews and word of mouth is still the number one way to learn about new podcasts, so I appreciate it. Until next time.